Welcome to the Inspired Teacher's Guide Podcast. We are Kim Wilkins and Laura Woolridge, just two teachers trying to podcast. We are so glad that you joined us. Our goal is to help you by discussing a variety of topics that will help you as a whole, in the same way we want to focus on the whole child. On this podcast, we will be talking from and outside the classroom. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Hi, everybody. Well, today we have a great day. Our content today is all about managing classroom behavior, and we have a guest. Ooh, I'm so excited. This is one of my very best friends, our drum roll. Our guest today is Amy Thomas. Amy and I have been friends forever, and she's just a fantastic person to be around. I am so excited to share her with you guys. She advises me in all areas, personal life, teaching life, etc. And I think you are going to gain so much great information from her. Hi, Amy. I don't know you, but I feel like I... Hello. I do because I've heard so much about yeah. you. Yeah, it's so good to be Yeah, here. you too. I'm excited about this podcast today. Um, why don't you start by sharing a little bit about yourself? Because I don't know you and I know our listeners probably don't either. Okay. Well, I have a bachelor's and a master's degree in social work. Um, I am an LCSW. And for the first 15 years of my career, I did primarily individual and family therapy. I worked in a day treatment program where the children came if they had developmental delays and or mental health slash behavioral needs. Um, and when they weren't in therapy, they were in a classroom setting throughout the day. Um, and so I worked there for 15 years. The last five years, I have worked for a high quality pre-K and infant toddler program. And uh, I am an infant and early childhood mental health consultant. Uh, I work with teachers, families, um, consult with on children, and I'm also the mental health and disability manager. So any child that has any special needs or concerns, I work with uh, referring them to get them serve the services that they need. You're a busy girl. Very busy. Yeah. Why don't you share with our listeners what a day treatment program is? They may not have experienced that. Okay. Well, that is... It's considered a medical facility, but it, so it's not technically a school. And they've changed the way that they operate some in Arkansas to where they do have IEPs and things like that now. But um, it's just a child that if they have some significant delays in certain areas, whether it be speech, physical therapy, uh, fine motor delays or sensory issues where they would need occupational therapy, uh, they go to these facilities and they receive the therapies that they need. But they're, the idea is that they're receiving so much therapy that it's not beneficial for them to leave and come back. So they also have day treatment where it's classroom setting and the children are in a pre-K type classroom when they're not in therapy. So the, it's it's not impatient, right? They come every day. No, 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 no. No, they come in the morning and leave in the afternoon, kind of like school. Okay. Hours. That's so helpful to parents. I'm sure that they're not having to go to this OT office or this PT office and pre-K. Yeah, yeah that would be helpful. Yeah. So I know you um, do a lot of work with uh, mental health 
on the organization level of your staff. What positive impacts have you seen by investing time in building up the skills and just knowledge base about mental health? Well, I will say when I took this job, it was kind of like we, because I work for a Head Start program. So that's a federal grant level type program. And so they have a lot of areas that they have already identified that needs help and kind of platforms that Head Start identifies. This is what is trending. This is what the data is saying that early childhood or childhood staff in general need. And mental health consultants consulting came on the scene years ago. And it's just trying to figure out how to integrate that into the program. So I've had a lot of freedom in trying to identify what is actually beneficial. And it is an integrative approach. It's not like I just go in and say, okay, I'm the mental health consultant, whatever you need. It's setting things up at a program level, whether it be, you know, and they had already implemented conscious discipline before I started here. And it is just a wonderful social emotional program. I agree. And it helps teachers regulate themselves. It is trauma informed. It is, you know, skill teaching. They are looking at if a child has a behavioral concern, they look at that as a lack of a skill set and rather than, you know, been a deficit. It's not a broken child. It's just a skill they haven't learned yet. And we do a good job of doing that with math and reading science skills. And when it comes to behavior, a lot of times we don't approach it in that same way as it's just a deficit in skill. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. And there are several other things that, you know, when we get into our other podcasts that we're going to do. Listeners, Um, we have another one with Amy coming up and you're going to love it. We'll tell you more about that later. But that is, it's a real specific approach on how I have worked to integrate the mental health support at a foundational Mm -hmm. level. Yeah. We tend to, as teachers, we're, it's a very emotional profession like we get our heart and soul in it and when kids misbehave or they are acting out or we're or they are dysregulated and we lose control we think we have control but we really don't but when that happens in a classroom um teachers think i mean they just let their emotions take over and what what are some things that we can do is is classroom teachers to break this apart where it's a skill that they're missing versus um, reaction, just reacting to the behavior. Yes, that's right, Laura. That's what I wanted to say. Um, In the program I currently work for, we use the social emotional program of conscious discipline. Um, It's primarily based on how as the teacher, like the adult, how do I respond to the situations? 
what can I do to make the situation better? And it's always going to start with the relationship. The connection and the relationship that you build with the child, that is going to carry you through any type of misbehavior or outburst. Um, You can always revert back to connecting with that Mm -hmm. child. I agree. And I think we can see that not even just with children, but with adults. So much of our interaction, it really just starts with feeling safe, feeling connected. It really goes back to that Maslow's, you know, hierarchy of needs that we learned about in college. Work or even Amy and I are part of the same friend group. And even I think the foundation of our friend group is that we do feel safe and that we do feel connected. And that's when even in hard times or good times, we're able to share and and have success as a friend group. It all goes back to connection, I think, especially in a classroom. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's, you know, that you mentioned that, Laura, it's truly about meeting someone where mm-hmm. they're at, just accepting someone where they're at without judgment. There's nothing that any of you girls can say to me within our friend group that's going to give me a sense of, judgment about the situation because, you know, in all honesty, I've probably felt the same way, experienced the same thing. And so it's important to carry that throughout all your relationships is just meeting the person where they're at. And just so vital working with children to do that. The the three core components of conscious discipline are safety, connection, and problem solving. So when you're in your survival state, you've got to find that feeling of safety to be able to move out of it. So whether it's you finding that yourself as the teacher or helping the child find that, that's your goal in that moment when your classroom is, when you feel like it's not moving the way it Mm -hmm. should. Well, let's stop real quick and think about and get give the listeners some examples of when we might be in survival state. Okay. Well, a child that comes in, you know, we're going to have children in the classroom that come from all walks of life and all types of home situations. You know, maybe that family doesn't have enough groceries this week and maybe that child is coming to school hungry or very sleep deprived or um, you know maybe something's going on within their own friend group or they're feeling left out and they're just shutting down and you know not there ready Mm -hmm. to learn. I think I have I can think back two days this year at school you know, I come into school and I am dysregulated. Maybe I'm running late. I am panicking because I don't have everything ready for the day that I wanted to. Or maybe, you know, I had to rush and get the boys off to school and we were all in a hurry and things just weren't that peaceful at home. Wouldn't you say I'm in survival mode? I'm not my best self. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not on my A game. Right, exactly. I, perfect example. I mean, this morning, <laughs> I don't know what happened. I woke up and thought things 
were happening today that weren't happening today, I got myself behind schedule and my daughter wakes up. She doesn't want to go to her summer program. She's telling me I don't feel good. And I'm like, sorry, we got to go. <laughs> you know, if you, if you throw up, tell them to call your grandma to come pick you up. And uh, I had given her the check to pay for the summer program. And I said, hold this in your hand. Do not lose it. My hands were full. As soon as we get there, she starts to get out of the van and I say, where's the check? (laughs) And I said, you had one job. (laughs) And she starts crying. Tears start rolling down her face. She doesn't want to do it anyway. She either doesn't feel good or just would rather go to her grandmother's house today. I don't know. And then here I am. That's all you had to do was keep up Mm -hmm. with the check. And it's like, okay, I can't send her off like this. I am setting her up for a miserable day at this point. So I'm like, okay. Let's take a deep breath. Let's gather ourselves. I am sorry. I reacted. The check's right here. It's not a big deal. It's Friday. It's the weekend. You know, we're just going to make it through today. I will text your grandmother and let her know that you want to be picked up early if she's able to do that. You know, just trying to reset, get her back into a sense of, I'm safe, I'm calm, I can do this, and, you know, we we got there and we did it, but a lot of it was based on, I was already late, ha- getting things together that aren't even happening until September 8th, <laughs> I mean, because I think they're happening today, and so, you know, I fed into all that, I... I exacerbated that. And that happens to us as parents and teachers. And Mm -hmm. I, you know, the reason why that your morning ended, ended up successful or on a better track is because you stopped and you, you really stepped back and thought about it and rerouted yourself. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Taking that, taking that pause. You know, am I noticing some signs that this child is not getting what they need? And what can I do in the moment to at least try to alleviate some of that? So as teachers, getting a child in a survival state, you feel like the classroom is unmanageable. You have too many tasks, not enough resources. You know that taking that pause and taking that breath, trying to figure out what can I do in the moment right now to manage the situation manage myself so that I'm not spiraling out of control. Uh, and, you know, we don't want to admit it, but there are children at times that either get in, get under our skin for whatever reason, or maybe we've had several interactions in the past that haven't necessarily been positive. And, you know, that's just human nature. So then we're going to start approaching the situation with a chip on our shoulder or, you know, just not in the most positive light. So how do we take a step back and look at it from a more objective point of view? Trying to figure out how we're going to take our feelings out of this because our pride gets involved. Mm -hmm. 
you know, if I admit that I have ownership in this problem, then maybe I start questioning how effective I am as a teacher or um, how effective I am at even dealing with children. You know, that's not the road that we want to go down. It's just human nature to sometimes our personalities don't match or we've gotten off on the wrong foot. So that's why it's just important for us to practice that pause, step back and focus on what are the pieces of this dynamic that I can control within myself uh, so that I can give that child a, a path mm -hmm. forward, a positive path. We can forward. really help direct the weather. You know, we can, Absolutely. I can make it worse or I can start getting us mm -hmm. on the right track. Absolutely. Okay, Amy, do you help teachers identify those skills that students are lacking and then help them with strategies for addressing those areas? Yes. Um, I will, you know, if a teacher calls and says, I'm having difficulty in this particular area or with this particular child, I'll go in and I'll observe in the classroom and kind of see what the antecedents are, what the behavior is, what what the result is, and try to help that teacher process through what they can control in the situation, what they could do differently. Um, and it's primarily always going to come back to what they can do themselves. Yeah, because we can only control ourselves. Like we that's all we have control over is ourselves. I love that practicing the pause, just stopping and thinking for a minute, catch your breath and think about, okay, what in this situation do I actually have control of and what do I need to let go? Because it is completely out of my realm of control. I don't have any way of dealing with that. You know, and if I get called to a classroom on a particular situation, the first thing that I'm going to look at is the relationship between the teacher and the child. What is that connection piece? What does it look like? Is the child showing signs that they feel connected to this teacher? Do they not? And what steps do we need to take moving forward to resolve that? I think that's so powerful. And so, you know, after you have established that connection piece and build on that into the relationship, it does increase their cooperation and their willingness to learn and even practice new skills. So the skills that they don't have, even when they do have slip ups, if you're approaching them from a teaching perspective, mm -hmm. they're just going to be willing to practice that. Man, teaching perspective. That's what I need to remember. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right. We are trying to teach them skills that they need to to manage life. You know, it's not, we, we want to teach the math skills and the reading skills and the English skills and whatever science skills that they need, but we have to teach them life skills too. I'm just thinking about the you know, last semester, I'd say, get out your homework. And I, I would have a, I, I would just, I'm picturing a student who literally was losing it because she went to her backpack and it wasn't there. And she realized she didn't do it. So she slips into survival mode and she could have been gone for the next hour and 14 minutes. But I really did have to take just a second and say, hey, it's okay. You know, I 
I know you're upset, but it will be all right. Take a deep breath. You know, really almost teach coach through those situations. Mm -hmm. And then after class, I was telling her, this is not a pattern, you know, Mm -hmm. so don't be, don't beat yourself up so much about it. And I think. So you gave her the safety of being able to make that mistake and not harshly reacting to her. And then you gave her that connection Mm -hmm. piece of we're in this together, you know, like people make mistakes. This is not a pattern that, you know, it's a mistake. And so then you can move into that problem solving. Now I had this very thing happen with my 25 year old son just this week. He's taking classes at ASU and he did not get everything in there that he needs to have done so that he can start taking these few little classes this fall. And I was on the phone with him because I'm on the phone with him a lot. He said, I'm just so, I can't believe, I'm just such a loser. I'm so stupid. I cannot believe I did this. And I said, stop that right now. You just stop. You're not a loser. You're, you're smart. You're a hard worker. You've got a full-time job. It's okay. We all get behind on things. This is manageable. We can fix it. But don't talk about yourself like that. You're not, you're, you're smart and, and worthy and you can do this. So just stop that. So I, and I first have to say, it's wonderful that your 25 year old (laughs) is calling you processing through these things. I'm sure there's plenty of mothers that wish they had, but what you, (laughs) what you did in that moment was use the flip it strategy where you flipped his negative you know, train of thought, his negative patterns of self-talk and you flipped it into, okay, we're going to move this into more positive. And you gave him the positive affirmations of things that he can start telling himself, you know, and we can do that with children in our classroom. You know, sometimes they do need the words. If they're in that state of beating up on themselves Sometimes you got to flip it for them and say, these are the real attributes Mm -hmm. you have. That was a mistake. This is, these are the real qualities you have. You know, sometimes I would grab a student who was 20, grab their hand and put it on my heart and say, say with me, I am whatever, you know, just to try to get Mm -hmm. that negative talk out of their head because Uh they're sure not going to be learning when they're thinking those things. I'm a failure. I, whatever. Right. And I tell my kids, my own children, you don't have to believe every thought that comes in your head just because you think it doesn't make it true. So yeah. Yeah. And I have to tell myself, that just because it comes in my head, I don't have to say it. <laughs> <laughs> Me too, Amy. Did we just become... That just because I think it doesn't mean I have to Did say we just it. become best friends? <laughs> yes, absolutely. So you made me think another way that I see students slip into this dysregulated emotional state is when they just don't know what's going to happen. You know, things are unfamiliar. Can you give us some advice mm-hmm. about that? to prevent prevent that from happening to our students? Oh, a lot of times I think in classroom settings, teachers get so busy checking the boxes. They just have so much to do that doesn't just involve teaching. And so, or like, you know, teaching the lessons that they have. 
Um, and so making sure that they have everything done, they don't necessarily talk through what's happening in the moment and what's going to happen. And for a lot of children, they have to know what is going to happen next. Um, they live in, some children live in unpredictable home environments, so they need to know what's going to happen next. That gives them a sense mm -hmm. of safety. Um, if you're welcoming a class in the morning and you're saying, okay, class, I'm so happy to see you. You're welcoming them. You're making those connections. And then you're going to say, you know, on the agenda for today is A, B, and C. You talk up to where you're getting to A and then A happens and you might review that for a second and say, okay, well, what's coming up next is B and C. First, we're going to do B and so on. And so that they know step-by-step step what's about to happen when you're talking through it. And they know what's on your mind too, where you're at. It's kind of like the click down uh, chart we use for uh, this, like the sequence of the lesson. I use that in my lessons oh, and then they uh -huh. know, they know exactly what's going to happen next. But that's so, yeah. what does that it, do? And it also helps the teacher stay on uh -huh. schedule yeah. as well. It You're not bringing something on them. And if, you know, things are going to come up and you say, oh, you know, we have to go down this road for a second. We got sidetracked. <clears throat> We're about to get back on track and get to lesson mm -hmm. B. Or you know. I just compare it to if you and I were going on a trip, I come out to your house to pick you up and I say, Amy, get in the car. And you say, where are we going? And I have it packed. And I'll say, well, I'm not telling you. And I, I'm just... I, and then I would totally spiral out yeah. of control. Like I have all these responsibilities or all these things that I have to manage myself. I can't just pick up and take off and without any answers of how I plan for this or what I'm going to need. And I think many times kids may feel that way. Brock and I always joke and say, you know, our kids just go wherever we go. We just say, get in the car and they just go. And maybe we need to be more... Uh, cautious about informing uh, our children of our plans for the day, but especially in the classroom, they need to know, you know, first. Yeah. Yes. Well, and you're just blessed with easygoing children <laughs> that, it, you know, they're fine with getting in the car and going somewhere. I have a daughter that's mm -hmm. not <laughs> necessarily easygoing and she needs to know what's going to happen what the plan is for the day by four years old, I could tell that she needed to know. She would wake up and ask me what's going to happen today. What's the plan for today? And we have those children in our classroom mm -hmm. exactly. and maybe a lot of them. I think this just provides emotional safety, which is key to helping learning happen, to helping behave, preventing behavior problems from happening. So, Amy, I want you to really, because this is a big concern for teachers is talk to us about this. Say I've got a kid who does something that needs to be addressed or handled in the classroom. Mm -hmm. We know that keeping mm -hmm. our composure is so important to, to prevent, you know, if I don't keep my composure, then I'm going to be sending a kid into survival state and so will I. But what are some tips that can help me keep my composure? Well, first we have to look at it from what what is the behavior that actually needs to be addressed? 
and how are we going to address it? If it's going to be in a way that's going to where we're going to, you know, ignore or blame or intimidate or yell at a child, that is automatically going to send them into their survival state. That's automatically going to make them feel threatened. So it's kind of how you approach it, how you're going to address it with the child. Because at the base, we have to self-regulate, but we have to be able to keep the child self-regulated too if we want to move Mm -hmm. forward. You've taught me about this. You've talked about sometimes we'll use fear as our tactic, maybe a Mm -hmm. threat or something similar. Well, because it will immediately get Mm -hmm. what we want. Oftentimes, um, even if it just shocks the child, they'll do it just because they're kind of shocked and we think, okay, well, that worked. Well, all that leads to is that's what I have to do to get them to comply. We're not teaching skills. We're damaging the relationship with the child and their behavior overall is never going to improve. Um, And eventually they will stop responding to the abruptness Mm -hmm. and they'll just realize, oh, she's just a loose cannon. (laughs) She, you know, I, whatever, I'll let her yell. I'm still not going to do it. I think that, I think once they um, kind of figure out your pattern too, they know I can push her this far. Mm -hmm. I recognize that tone of voice. That's as high I can work it till I get to that far. And then I know to stop. So they're getting us off our game mm-hmm. because they know they can, not because they're bad children. It's just that we've taught them, this is my limit mm-hmm. and you can push me to that limit. And then from then on, they're resentful and they're angry and they've learned that they can't trust you just like they can't trust anybody else. They're, you know, when the interaction pattern gets to that point and that becomes primarily how you interact with that child and how that child interacts with you. It is not rooted in that connection. You know, if you squat down beside their desk and you're making eye contact with them and you're saying, look, Johnny, you know, this behavior is affecting the whole class by you know, distracting them, they're not able to listen either. I know that you've got ants in your pants today. If you can give me five minutes, when this lesson's over, I will let you get up and, you know, jump up and down over in the corner of the room. Or, you know, I will let you take up the homework or I will let you go right on the board. Something to to let them know this is what I need from you, and this is what I'm going to do for you when we get through this. That kind of, you know, just connecting and letting them know, I see you. I know where you're at. I know you're struggling. I have some needs, too, but we'll get there. We'll get what you need. I love that, Amy. So what you're doing is you're saying, okay, if you can do this, then this positive thing happens. And what we tend to do is say, if you don't do this, this negative thing's going to happen. So we offer a threat. So I love that. That's very helpful. 
Oh, I mean, you know, the biggest thing in the world is, and this is a lack of skill set from a teacher perspective, that we don't know what else to do. We're so frustrated, so we just take away recess oh. time. Oh, man, it just kills my soul. And so then you have these children that are already struggling to sit down for 50-minute time spans, and you take away the only outlet they have to get out that physical energy. And so you're just setting yourself up for a terrible mm-hmm. afternoon as yeah. well. Mm-hmm. And so we're, we think we're helping the kid learn to not do it, but we are exasperating our problem that we want to stop. Oh, absolutely, oh, yes. So mm-hmm. instead of using fear and intimidation and threats, you know, you mentioned we it's really flipping the situation, and that is amazing to think about. I, I need to do that as a parent and everything. But, you know, conscious discipline also has a tool um, called Q-tip, okay. and it's quit taking it personal. Oh, say it again. Q-tip. <laughs> That's what you have to think in your head. Q-tip. And it's quit taking it mm-hmm. personally. It is not a personal reflection of how good of a teacher you are or how effective you are at classroom management. It is a moment in time. This child is not, we're not connecting somehow. I, you know, we start thinking this child is deliberately out to get us. And, you know, it could be after you've set up a negative relationship pattern with them. But initially, that's it doesn't start out that way. And so we have to be able to flip our negative self-talk, our negative connotations about the situation and flip it into something more positive rather than, you know, he knows to put the pencil in that basket. We've done it every week for 26 weeks. He's choosing not to do it. He's doing it deliberately to get under my skin and to, we have to flip that in our mind and interact with him and say, oh, Johnny, you forgot to put your pencil in the basket. That way you're reminding him, you're prompting Mm -hmm. him, but you're not shaming him. You're not going down this pattern of, you know, we do this every week, embarrassing him in front of all of his kids all all of his friends um you engaged him in a way where he feels like that you're reminding him and so he will be more likely to I, do it. I definitely need to work on this in my parenting and I'm sure if I do it in my parenting I'm sure I'm doing it in my teaching mm-hmm. yeah because what we're teaching it, kids is that you're you are not capable you are not it's like my son Landon was saying, I'm, I'm so stupid. I can't believe I did this. No, you're not incompetent. You just, you forgot. It's not a big deal. You can fix it. Mm-hmm. You know, and maybe all his neurons just weren't firing that morning. If he's working full time, he has all these other responsibilities. Maybe his mind just wasn't in that, that morning to get prepared. You know, yes, he's got all his things together every morning several other times but that morning it just Mm -hmm. didn't work and you know we have to be able to give our children the grace that we give other adults if someone did that in a work situation we wouldn't hammer down on them like we do these kids sometimes I taught a workshop last week and 
we got ready to do an activity. Now these are these are college grad these are seasoned teachers, college graduates, master's degrees, specialist degrees. Like these are great people who are competent and they do hard work every day, but we got ready to do it and they didn't have any paper and pencil. They forgot. Mm-hmm. They just forgot. Mm-hmm. I mean most of the time when they come, there's pencils in the middle of the table and there are handouts that they can write on, but they didn't bring anything of their own. Does that mean they're incompetent? No, it doesn't. They just, they weren't prepared. Maybe they had different expectations. Yes. Maybe they, maybe they thought all of this is going to be I digital to or they it. are going to That's right. I heard this story about this girl who took a shower <laughs> and she didn't get her towel out. Like she's been taking a shower for forty years. I don't know if she thought somebody was going to hand it to her. Who who was that? About? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh, was that? I'm I'm my lips are sealed. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm really going to take try to take this on because I know it can make the weather a lot better. Yeah. Yes. Just I think it will make a huge difference. You know, it's not going to be 100% foolproof, but a lot of this is practice-based. You have to practice the skill yourself. You're not going to, I mean, I've been doing conscious discipline for years, um, at least before I had my second child, and he's five, and I still can't get it right all 100% of the time, (laughs) you know. So... We have to be able to catch ourselves when we do make the mistakes and we don't engage in the situation the way or respond the way we need to respond. You know, I apologize to my children more than I have anyone else in my entire life because I have to come back and say, I got frustrated earlier. I am sorry that I reacted that way. I don't want to speak to you that way. I don't want our relationship to be that way. And I just didn't handle it the way I should have. I I let my emotions get the best of me and I snapped at you and I'm sorry. I think that could be one of the most important things we do in the classroom. So many, mm-hmm. So many children do not have exposure to successful problem solving, you know, when there are arguments or Mm -hmm. times of conflict. And so if we can model that for Mm -hmm. our students that, oh, I'm I'm sorry, I spoke too soon. I reacted too quickly. I did not think about what I was saying before. Oh, I think so too. Yeah. Yeah, I I do think that just teach, showing, modeling for them, Mm -hmm. these behaviors is huge. Like I'm pretty good, honestly, at flipping I think that's probably a strength of mine because except for with myself, I'm really bad at negative yeah. self-talk internally. But when I hear people do that, I'm like, oh, don't, you're, mm-hmm. that's not true. I'm pretty good at that. But that practicing the pause, that's huge for me. I, I'm sure that's been spoken for years and I just didn't catch it. Mm-hmm. But I think yeah. we have to realize that we don't have to react immediately. My husband's really good at this. Of course, he doesn't talk much. So maybe that's why. <laughs> Plenty of time to practice because yes. he's not. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think it just gives us time to breathe and think, and and then we have time to flip it or redirect in a more positive way. Yes. Um, and the apologizing thing, I was just thinking. Well, both of these things, apologizing, 
practicing the pause, our students start replicating our behaviors. And Mm -hmm. I just think about if you use the Charlotte Danielson framework um, in your state, you know, her, her model, the rubrics all start out with like basic, um, what developing Mm -hmm. proficient and then distinguished. And most of the time to get distinguished, it's not just you doing the skill, but that your students are also doing it. You know, and that brings up a good point in this. It, I often will find myself talking through my use of the skill. If my children are coming at me with, you know, just peppering questions, I'll say, listen, I have to practice a pause here. I have to stop and I've got to get my thoughts together. I've got to think about this and then I'll come back or, um, you know, in the moment, even the skill I'm doing, if it's not visually apparent, I may talk through it and say, this is what I'm doing to gather my thoughts. Because they can tell mom was in the middle of something. I've came and asked several questions. They can reflect on that and see it wasn't the best time. But they are also picking up on how I handled that situation. Oh, that's good, Amy. Mm-hmm. So then they can use that the next time they're in that situation. And then you're teaching a skill. That's right. Oh, so good. That's so good. Right. Amy, a lot of times we think kids are acting out in a certain way because they want our attention. They're just they they're just attention seeking. They're just trying to get attention. You know, and we often as adults use that in a negative connotation. Um because we'll associate that with negative type of behaviors, whether it's them interrupting in class or um, being the class clown, being just distracting your classroom setting. And I want you to flip the attention-seeking verbiage to connection-seeking. Mm-hmm. Anytime you think the word attention-seeking, I want you to automatically say they're connection seeking. And that will change the whole way you engage that child. It will change the way that child interacts with you. It it will just change the dynamic. I feel that needs to be inserted to the Bible. <laughs> we have an addendum for that. Yeah. I just yeah, think okay. of the power of as soon as I think that in the classroom. Oh, he's just wanting my attention or she's just wanting my attention. If I just do exactly what you said and think, oh, they're seeking connection, maybe maybe to me or to class or but all. Well, and that brings up a good point. You know, a class clown may be needing that connection from the other students. So what is a group activity? What is something that you can do within your mm-hmm. lesson so that he can establish some connections with some other children in class. I think it that switch thinking, okay, it's is it connection seeking keeps us in that better state of mind. Because if mm-hmm. I'm just immediately thinking, oh, they're seeking my attention, whatever, then I am really starting to slip in my mindset about that child. But if I go, they're seeking connection. 
it's like my heart opens up to them. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That now that's a powerful statement right there. Well, thank you, Amy. I probably learned it from you. <laughs> you work <working> on Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I just think if I analyze my behavior when I'm stressed out or when I'm just not in a good state, and it mm-hmm. I'm probably seeking connection. Yes. <sighs> we all are. We're humans, uh, you know. We are relationship based beings. Mm-hmm. Oh man, I just, I think I just want to put like stars and music to that. <laughs> that part of the podcast, that's just great. I know. I know. Okay, um, Amy, I'm just thinking about that statement in the Conscious Discipline book. I think it's maybe on the first few pages. It says, "Our internal state regulates our external behaviors." Mm-hmm. Um, that yes. that is that just goes back to everything you've said and we just really want to think about that in the classroom of everything we're seeing there's something you know conscious discipline does the iceberg there's something below there that's producing that mm-hmm. oh right. man okay and you're going to have a more efficient classroom a better functioning classroom if you're willing to look below that layer of mm-hmm. water just to see what can I what's underneath some of this and how can I address this from the relationship standpoint. So if I have a student interrupting kind of all the time, they always have a comment, you know, they just yell it out. Mm-hmm. If I, I really start to look not just at that behavior, but maybe thinking about what might be causing it, then mm-hmm. class is going to be a lot better for, for me, for them, and for the rest of the kids. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, you know, oftentimes we think that we just can't have honest conversations with the students. Like, I can't connect with them and just really tell them mm-hmm. how I feel because I might... It, we don't think of, you know, snapping at them or we don't think of that as hurting their feelings. But if we sat down and really had a conversation about, you know, this is disruptive to the whole class when they are really thinking in their mind, I'm just asking a question or I just want people to see how smart I am. We can have that conversation if we have a relationship with that student. So if you know, you pull them after class or whatever, and you say, you know, Sally, I notice that every time I'm lecturing, you tend to have more questions than anyone else, or you tend to want to speak up in front of the class more than anyone else. I'm noticing that, and I'm trying to figure out what that's about. And, you know, see what her response is. And she may minimize it and act like, you know, it's not a big deal. And say, you know, I think that it may have something to do with our dialogue. Maybe you want to have more conversations with me. And we can make that happen outside of a lecture experience. You know, it it does get people off track. Or it might make them feel like that they cannot ask any questions because Sally is always mm-hmm. going to be the one to ask a question. And so how about, you know, for 
five minutes at the end of class, I let you come up to my desk while I'm grading papers or while I'm, I don't know if it's grading papers, just something. I'm trying to think of an yeah. example to give her a little bit of special attention, a little bit of, or how about you read this book and on Friday, come, come by when you have some free time and tell me the three main points of this book that really spoke to you, you know, giving her some of that attention, but also addressing the fact that I can't, you can't be the only one asking <laughs> <in> class, <laughs> you know, you can't be the only one interrupting the whole time. But I think you are helping, you are helping her first realize the problem and realize and mm -hmm. to help her acknowledge that, you know, it's a problem. And then mm -hmm. you're helping building that skill. Like, how can we, how can we do this in another way? That, how can I help meet your needs without distracting Exactly. And, and instead of, you know, condemning or addressing it in such a negative way, you're really opening her brain and heart to be receptive to you and some advice that you have for her. And then she'll be open to learning. Mm -hmm. You know, next period, it'll just, I think. It... Well, and she'll become more self-aware of her own yeah. behavior and how it affects a group dynamic. Oh, that's huge too. Like helping people become self-aware. I know even adults, sometimes we struggle being self-aware. And I think giving kids that tool, uh, I think mm -hmm. that's huge. I mean, it is an investment of time. But goodness, think about if, if we just let Sally continue to do that, she's eating up our time every day. So why not just spend a little bit of time mm -hmm. and help the environment right, become more productive? If, if you snap at her and shut her down, all that's telling the kids that it would require a little more gumption to actually speak out. That no, I'm, I'm definitely keeping my mm -hmm. mouth shut. Right. She embarrassed her when she talked in front of the class. I'm certainly not saying anything right. now. And Go just ahead. saying, you know what, Sally, you have some great questions. I love it. I love your questions. Mm -hmm. But you know what? There are some other people that might want to ask some too. And mm -hmm. I, I don't know, just kind of flipping that over. And this is good. You haven't done anything wrong, yeah. but... Mm -hmm. Or Sally, write down all your questions for me and we can go over them. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I bet the, the question amount's going to decrease. Oh, I I bet. Like, yeah. yeah. Well, I think, you know, so much of what you've said is really just trying to attack the roots of the problem, you know, get attacking the barriers. You know, if I'm throwing my pencil every time I get mad, if you can help me start to backtrack and not just addressing throwing the pencil, but start to identify, okay, when, when I start feeling these feelings, what can I do? That's where we'll get to see some changes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It will be, it will be worth our time. Yes. Okay, Amy, man, I just can't thank you enough. You've given us such good information I just think if I just stop and reflect about my great takeaways, you know, the flipping, the pausing, the Q-tip, the Q-tip, love the Q-tip. <laughs> it's just great. Um, 
I'm just, I'm just thankful for that. So, um, do you want to maybe take from your point, you know, your summary of your greatest takeaways that you want teachers to remember, or maybe an extra tip, whatever you want to share? Oh, I think that we have to just primarily, we're always going to focus on that connection Mm -hmm. piece and that relationship piece, Um, creating that physical and emotional safety in the classroom. Um, And, you know, just letting people be who they are, meeting them where they are. And as a teacher, focusing on wherever they are, meeting them with the skills that they need, teaching them those skills Mm -hmm. so that they can function at a higher level. And I think you've encouraged me to step back and look at things from the child's point of view. So Mm -hmm. really, thinking about, okay, how did I respond today? To my students, when they were acting up, I need to stop and think, how did the child view it? How did Lawson feel when I, when Mm -hmm. I said what I said today about the dishwasher? You know, that is where I think that's the beginning of changing. And like you said, it's a practice skill. It is. Mm -hmm. It is. Okay. What do you have to say to teachers about structure, procedures, and routines? Is it a big deal? Oh, absolutely. That's going to, that's a foundational piece of your, how your classroom is going to function. Um, we're going to have to provide the structure and procedures in the classroom. They're going to, they're going to have to know what to expect because that decreases their anxiety about the day. It sets up more of a safe environment. Uh, You know, just talking them through the process of what they're going to expect. And if we veer off, explain that too. Life has bumps in the road. We have one. Let's veer off, take care of this, and we're going to get right back to our regularly scheduled. We're all, we're still all in this together and we're going to move through our day and have a great time doing it. I think that's lovely. See how smart my friend is. So smart. Question for you. Many times we think of conscious discipline or these behavior programs or approaches. Some people may think, oh, that's elementary Um, or you know, that, that information doesn't really relate to me. Cause I teach high school or I teach college. Yeah. yeah. So what would you say to a person who's not sure that this information is relevant to them? Well, I will say you gave a lot of good examples of some conscious, consciousness, bleh, conscious discipline based skills in some of your examples earlier. It, it translates across all age groups. I, I use some of these techniques with my husband at times just <laughs> to too. be able to communicate more effectively. So, um, you know, relationships are the foundation and it does give you some skill-based, some just some skills to be able to better your relationships with other people. It's 
for every age group. I completely agree with you. Okay, Amy, you're going to come back and talk to us about that wellness wheel, which we just mentioned earlier. Will you give everybody just a tiny bit of preview of what the wellness wheel is? Okay, well, it's eight foundational pieces of wellness. So it's going to be like spiritual, emotional, intellectual, physical, environmental, financial, all the elements that kind of are... They come together. That to, make the whole person, right? Everything yes, that's yes. okay. And will truly make us a healthy human being. Right. Right. And so in my job, I have done that as a, at a program level. What are some of these pieces that we can offer to staff as a whole? And then I started kind of applying those personally and some of the results that I've had with mm-hmm. that. I'm excited about that episode. I am too. I need it. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. And Brock will be excited about the financial part of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, Amy, yeah. thank you so much for sharing all the information today. I, I just am excited about the potential of this information being in, implemented in my parenting and my teaching. And thank you in advance for the wellness wheel. Yeah. Well, Absolutely. I Thank y'all for having me. Thank you for being my friend. Thank you for listening today. Please share this podcast with others. Amy's information can be transformational for any teacher, any spouse, any friend, any parent. As always, share on social media and um, share our podcast. We hope that today has helped you in some way. Our goal is to help at least one teacher help one student one day and one time. See you next time.